If you have your Bibles, please open to Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40, and we are continuing our study of the life of Joseph. Hello to everyone who's watching or listening online. Genesis 40, Joseph, he is the son of Jacob. And Joseph is in Egypt. He's not home. Joseph was sent by his brothers, or it's not sent, he was actually sold by his brothers. And he ends up becoming a slave and a servant in Egypt. We saw in chapter 39 that Joseph was honorable. He is a man of integrity. And when his boss's wife tried to make advances on him, he said no, and he fled, and he got into trouble. So now, at the end of chapter 39, we find Joseph in prison. The Scripture says in verse 1, Now it happened after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. And the captain of the bodyguard appointed Joseph as overseer over them And he attended to them. He basically was their servant. And they were in confinement for some time. Now, the cupbearer and the chief cupbearer, the chief um, baker, were high. They weren't just kitchen workers, right? These were high officials in Pharaoh's court. They would have been the ones that was in charge. The cupbearer would have been in charge of making sure Pharaoh's drink was not poisoned because he's somebody very much in charge. So the cupbearer made sure that he protected the Pharaoh. And because of his closest to Pharaoh, he was also sometimes an advisor. We see in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. And because of his close relationship with the king, uh, he was able to go back to um, to, uh, to, uh, to the Holy Land. And so these were high officials. And the baker, um, the Egyptians had, they, they, all, they, all, they were very part of their religious ceremonies. They would make baked goods, even for dead kings and dead pharaohs, and, and put them in the tombs, you know. And so these were important people who were uh, very close to Pharaoh. And we don't know what happened. Something happened that made Pharaoh very angry. Maybe there's a plot in his life. We don't know, but he just he puts him away, right? He, he locks him up. And verse 4, Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night. Each man his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. Now here's the thing. I have, I'm not going to comment a lot about dreams, but... In the ancient Near East, in Egypt, dreams were very significant. Dreams were the way that they thought the gods spoke. And so what they did is they had whole schools of people who were experts in dream interpretation. And they had books and volumes of books of, that would sort of help you decode what a dream meant. 
because the, the gods, they thought, would speak through the dreams, but they would never give the interpretation. So they had to confide with the magi or magicians or other experts that sort of told you what the dream meant. Now, of course, in Scripture, God does speak through dreams in you know, various ways, and we can do a whole study on that, you know, Old Testament and New Testament. The primary way that God speaks, though, is through His Word. You know? um, so I'm not going to get into all of the stuff. Some people want to get all into the dreams thing. Listen, if a dream doesn't point you to Christ, <laughs> if it's not crystal clear to point you to Christ, you know, like you can hear about dreams in, in other countries where Christ appears to people and say, hey, I'm Jesus, you know, hey, God can do that. But here, I'm not going to get into all that. I have a whole another lecture I can do on that. You know, But the point is, Joseph has already had dreams in his life. Back in chapter 37, he has two dreams. Remember, uh, he dreamt that... In fact, go back to chapter 37. This is, this is significant, because everything that's going on in Joseph's life is there for a reason. It's not to be ignored. So um, in chapter 37, we saw that Joseph... Look at verse 6. Please... Uh, uh, he, he has a dream in verse 5. He tells it to his brothers, and he says, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheave rose up and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheave. And of course, the brothers say, Are you really going to reign over us? They didn't need an interpreter. It was pretty obvious. You know, Joe, you're going to be in charge. You're, you're a little, little brother, little, you know, and, and, they, and they were jealous of him, you know. And then he has another dream. Verse 9, uh, I had another dream. The sun and the moon and 11 stars were bound down to me. And he told his dad and his brothers, and they were like, wait, are, are we all going to come and bow down to you, right? Well, jo, jo, uh, Jacob, it says in verse 11, kept this saying in mind. Now, I, I, I point that out is because what's going to happen is those dreams have happened many years prior. Go back to chapter 40, right? Joseph was 17 years old when he had those original dreams. Okay? Here in chapter 40, he's 28 years old. 11 years have gone by. And we just turned the page, right? Pretty quick, right? Those 11 years you just passed by. It's going to be another two years before he's even meeting Pharaoh. So 13 years until he's, from, until he's out of jail. And just think about that for a second. We're getting, we, we, we kind of rush into things, but 11 years, 13 in, including the extra two years that we're going to find out. And now God brings, happens to bring two guys who are, happen to be pretty important who also have dreams. And they're at the right place at the right time, aren't they? Now Joseph, <clears throat> Joseph, verse 6 of chapter 40 Joseph came to them in the morning and saw them, and, and behold, they were dejected. And so he asked Pharaoh's officials who, uh, who were with him in confinement in his master's house, saying, Why are your faces so sad today? What's up, guys? Why are you so low, so blue? I mean, other than the fact they're in prison, you don't get the sense that Joseph is kind of like it. But why are you so? And they said, We've had a dream, and there's no one to interpret it. So that was a big deal to them. They said, the gods must be speaking to us. Something's going to happen, and we have no one that's going to tell us that. And they're sad. They're, they're, they're kind of like, we're helpless here. And Joseph said, do not interpretations belong to God? I love how Joseph has this godly perspective, like, like this filter, that, that this 
godly worldview, you can call it, right? Don't interpretations belong to God? Hey, tell it to me, please. Recount it to me, please. Verse 9. So the chief cupbearer recounted his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. Uh, Chapter 40, verse 10. And as it was budding, its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. And what he's seen here is a really fast-forward scene. Grapes blooming, ripe, ready to go, right? Just like like this visual thing that's like it's a fast-moving thing, going through the development of the grapes until it's producing it so we can squeeze uh, the juice, right? Verse 11. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand, according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. Now, let me just pause right there. Okay, so Joseph, so far, so good, right? He's, he's kind of doing what he's doing. But we get a little glimpse in the next two verses of, of sort of this, where Joseph, Joseph is kind of like, I'm stuck in prison here. I've been stuck. I went out. You know, Joseph is... You know, Joseph is, Joseph is this great guy who's, you know, who's almost perfect. But you get the sense that he's, there's a wrestling thing here, right? Um, he's human. Look at, look at this, verse 14. So he tells him the interpretation, only, only remember me when it goes well with you. And please show me loving kindness by remembering me to Pharaoh and getting me out of this house. Now you can read that in different ways. You can say, no, remember me when, when you go to Pharaoh, you know? Or you could say, as I would be saved in desperation, I mean, 11 years, and there's a glimmer of hope, and there's Pharaoh's officials, and I just interpreted the dreams. Could you remember, please, and get me out of this house? You hear that? See, it's okay to be holy and, not de- and yet desperate, right? Amen? For I was, in fact, stolen from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Same word that's used for when they put Joseph in the pit when the brothers wanted to sell him. And by the way, look how gracious Joseph is. He says, I was stolen. He doesn't say, you know, my brothers sold me. He's very gracious to not even mention that. Tells you a lot about him. We'll look at that in a second here. And the chief baker saw that he interpreted favorably, so he said to Joseph, I also saw in my dream, and behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. And in the top basket there were some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Then Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head, same word as he's saying to the cupbearer, but then he adds this phrase, from upon you or off of you. He will lift up your head off of you or from upon you. And you will hang on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh off of you. Thus it happened on the third day, that which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker from among, among his servants. And he restored the chief cupbearer to his office, and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. 
But he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Wow. Wow. Have you ever felt forgotten? You feel forgotten sometimes? And you imagine Joseph as, as the cupbearer is exiting the prison cell. Hey, don't, don't forget, hey, Joe, I'm going to go right now to the big guy. I imagine Joe, I'm going to call him Joe, Joseph, waiting. I mean, maybe he's waiting. Like a couple of days go by. Maybe he's thinking, you know, he's behind. He's got to catch up on emails and text messages and, and ordering of food and things like that. Maybe, maybe he's got to check out the grapes. So I'll give him a little grace. Okay, a week goes by. Two weeks go by. Months go by. I, here's, Joseph is 28 years old here. He has no idea how long he's going to be in prison. See, God doesn't tell us the timeline of our lives, right? For all he knows, he's going to be there forever. 11 years. Just think, let's, let's let that sink in, 11 years. So, and by time, let's see here, 11 years, then two more, 13 years he'll be in jail. He's going to meet Pharaoh. Seven years of plenty, two years of famine before he meets his, parent, his, his family again. That's a long time. Let's just stick with 11 years here. He's 28. He's more mature. I, I, I just want to know, Joe, how did you remain faithful for all that time? Because it's interesting that Joseph has a pretty good disposition, doesn't he? He doesn't have this, yeah, God... I gave up on him long, long, long ago because I'm in prison and these dreams he gave me, whatever. Joseph wasn't that of that nature. He's, he's a man who knows, first of all, he knows that God's with him. So here's the question. How, how do you remain faithful when it seems like you've been, been forgotten? That's a tough one, isn't it? Because I'm reading this chapter and I'm like, Joe's doing pretty Okay. Something tells me he still believes in God. Something tells me that he's still a follower of Christ. Or he's not a follower of Christ. You get the point. He's a follower of Yahweh. I think Joe knew a couple things that got him through this time. First of all, he knew that God was with him. Okay? We see, the, first of all, there was evidence that everyone knew that God was with him. Look, look at chapter 39. Look at verse 2. The Lord Yahweh was with Joseph. So he became a successful Verse 3, now his master saw that the Lord was with him. Even the, even the jailer knew that the Lord was with Joseph. It was obvious that God was with him. Look at the end of chapter 39. Look at verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended loving kindness to him and gave him favor. Verse 23, the Lord was with Joseph and made Joseph succeed. Joseph knew that God was with him, not just because he was prosperous in prison, but he knew because God had told Abraham, I'm going to be with you. He told Isaac, he told Jacob, he knew that God would be with him despite where he's at, that God would be with him. That's so important because so many times we base, we judge our relationship with God based on their circumstances. Things are going well, hey, God must be in favor of me. Things aren't going so well, well, God must have departed from me. You guys ever struggle with that? 
No one? Just me and you and you. Okay, you. Okay, now we're getting some truth tellers here. Oh, come on, let's just be real. It's just, it is hard to not look at the storms of life and say, where's God? Right? Even though he couldn't see God or hear God, we know that Job still trusts in God. Why? Look how quick Joseph brings up God in the conversation. Hey, we've had these dreams we can't interpret. Hey, don't interpretations belong to God? That tells me that God is still at the forefront of Joseph's mind. Joseph trusted in the unchanging character of God. He knew that God was faithful. He knew that God had given him these dreams, however they will be uh, fulfilled. He knew that God had not left him. He knew that God keeps his promises, but God keeps his promises in his timing, not ours. Man, I wish I could write the script and say, God, here's how to do my life. You know, it's like, it's like when, you, uh, when you're younger and the kids are, we, uh, Sharon was pregnant, right? And, and, and our friends were, were pregnant. And of course, the, the in thing in those days was you gave, you gave your doctor your birthing plan. Remember that? Yeah. Doc, this is how it's going to go right here, okay? Right. We're going to do it. And I have friends that did that. I'm like, you're, you have no idea what you're talking about. And then you're going to do this, you're going to do that. And then when, you, when, when the water breaks, uh, everything goes out the, out the window. It's like, you know, forget about it. Let's let the doctor do his job. <laughs> and you just stand in awe that God is giving this beautiful child. We, we can't write the script for our lives. We, we haven't been given the pen and the ink and the, and the paper to write the script for our lives. Who do we think we are? And Joseph's like, God is going to keep his promises in his times. And sometimes we'll be like, God, you missed a point here. You missed an opportunity here. God's like, no, I know what I'm doing. Do you believe that? What do you fight against him? You wrestle with him. What do you say? I can be in prison and still be faithful. God is never unfaithful, even if the circumstances seem otherwise. He is always faithful. God never changes. God cannot lie to break his word. Joseph, I see that he not only knows that God's with him, not only that God has an unchanging character, but he also sees God in everything he does. The fact that he brings up God tells me that God is at the forefront of his mind, that he has a perspective that can give these unbelievers a, a chance to interpret life. He interprets life through what he understands about God. The chief cupbearer and the baker aren't able to interpret the things of their life because they don't have God in their lives. But Joseph who still understands and believes in God, believes that God is in charge of everything in their lives. It's interesting that Joseph is willing to help. Look at, the, look at, the, um, look at verse 7. Look at verse 7 with me. Pharaoh's officials were with him in confinement, and he said, Joseph says, Why are your faces so sad today? Do you know Joe doesn't come into work Okay, bitter, because of where he's at. You see that? He's not self-absorbed in his own pain. He doesn't come and say, 
like that, he's actually aware of, of them. Say, hey guys, what's up? He doesn't say, oh, dreams? Why are you telling me about these dreams? God left me, he abandoned me. No, he doesn't do that. He's actually more aware of their issues than his own issues. Does that make sense? You don't see bitterness and, and anger in Joseph's heart. You see him involved in helping people around him, not self-absorbed in the fact that his life is not going according to his plan. Joseph is understanding that God is in charge of everything. And maybe God happened to bring him there to help these guys out so that one day he'll get helped out. Who knows? But he doesn't pout. He doesn't have bitterness. He's quick to help. And he sees God as being the answer to their problems. We see that Joseph has a hope in God. Look at verse 8. Again, I'm going to bring up verse 8. Don't interpretations belong to God in insisting or implying that God can help us out with understanding this. Verse 14 and 15, he has an expectation to get out. Only remember me. Please remember me and get me out of this house. Joseph has hope in God. His attitude toward God has not turned sour. Has your attitude toward God turned sour? Is your hope in God? Let's just, listen, let's, let, me just, let me just cut through the chase right here, okay? One day, we are all going to die from this earth. One day, every single person in this room is going to die, and you don't have the time or the day or the knowledge of when that's going to happen. I'm going to get real here. Is your hope in Christ today, or are you going to put off and say, you know, one day I'll get around to that? You don't know when that day is going to happen. You have zero control of your life. And the only hope that will give you hope in eternity is Jesus Christ. You're here today or you're listening online today because you need to hear this. We sit around like we're hopeless. We have hope in Christ. Amen? Amen. Yeah, life is difficult. Even Paul says, you know, I'm going through difficulties And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. We're all going to experience difficult things. We're all going to experience the heartaches of life, the pain of life. Joe did too, and Joe's human. Joe's like, hey, I trust in God, but I want to get out of here. And that's okay. Amen? See, being a Christian doesn't mean you go around and say, "Uh, I don't have any problems. Those aren't problems, you know. I reject those problems. No, being a Christian means you trust God, and you have problems. And some, some people want to preach, hey, if you become Christian, no problems will come to you. But yeah, good luck with that, buddy. <laughs> the reality is believers will experience suffering in this world. Guys like Joseph who are faithful, Joseph didn't do anything wrong and he got in prison. But he didn't wallow in the prison of bitterness and self, um, self-pity. Am I being harsh? I'm not speaking the truth here. The only thing that got Joseph through this time was God. That's really, it's, 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 like, it's like, and if you were in God's will, you can be in prison and be in God's will. Amen? I don't know why he did 11 years. Go to Psalm 105. Go to Psalm 105. I want to show you something. Just 
Psalm 105. Check this out. I guess coffee must have kicked in. <laughs> or the Holy Spirit. Look, look at this. Look at this. Psalm 105. Sort of like in the middle of your Bible. Verse 16. And he called for a famine upon the land. He broke the whole staff of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons. You get the, you get the scene. He's got around his neck maybe, around his hands, around his feet. He's, he's in shackles. And Joe had not done anything wrong, remember. He was, he was honest, he was good, he was faithful, he did his dad's bidding, his brothers hated him, he was, he was good at Potiphar's house. Mrs. Potiphar wanted to, you know, and then she accused him and he got into prison. He's like, not anything wrong, and he's been everything right, and his life has turned out to be in the, in the pit. But watch this. They afflicted his feet with fetters, he himself with the irons, verse 19, until the time that his word came to pass. Until the time that I think the dreams he's talking about. But during that time, look what, the, what happens. Until the time, the word of the Lord, the word of Yahweh, what? Refined him. 11 years, 13 years, refinement. God was refining Joseph during this time. Most of your Christian life may be a period of refinement. That's good. You know what refining means? It's like you get, the, you get the dross out of the metal to make it more pure. It's during the refinement time when your faith is, not, is, is purified, right? When it's, when it's strengthened. And God will use circumstances that we want to be freed from the most to use to refine our faith. See, we can have an intellectual knowledge and faith of God, but that faith has to get into real life and be tested and developed. You can believe in God with your mind, but the testing is how do you respond when things go south? And I think what God is this. Here's what God does. Watch this. There's a tension, though, between the faith that stated, hey, God, Jesus, uh, Joseph believes in God. Yeah, he says, get me out of this place, right? There's a tension between faith that stated and the pain we're experiencing. Watch this again. There's a, there's a tension here, right? David, David says, David, who is the man who writes so many psalms, he's a man after God's own heart, he says, why have you forsaken me, God? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We hear that in the lips of Jesus too. There's this tension, right, between I believe in God, yet give me out of this plane. And in between this tension is this. That's where growth happens. That's where maturity happens. That's where your faith becomes more purified. And here's what happens. 
Joe, at the end of the story, says, hey, remember me, remember me, don't forget me. And all of his hopes are on that one man to get him out. And that one man is going to let him down. So if you put your trust in man, you're going to be let down. And some people are bitter because their trust was in man. And they say, well, I'll never trust a man. Amen, don't trust a man. Man will let you down. Forgive them and go on with it. Because there's nothing they can do to change. But God, God hasn't forgotten. See, sometimes we think God has forgotten. God knows exactly where you're at. And maybe you're in that point of tension where he's, he's, he's causing you to, he's causing you to strip away everything but complete dependence and hope in him. Where you say, I can be shackled up, but, I'm, but Christ is with me. Bless the Lord. Because if I were out in the world, I might forget about God. So we were talking about this beforehand with uh, one of the brothers here. Um, God allowing the trials in our life to bring us to our knees. And we were talking about, we were like, uh, when do we graduate? When do we graduate from having to be dependent on God? There's no graduation. Hey, John, you've walked with me so many years. Now you don't, have to walk, you don't have to depend on me anymore. Here's your cap and gown. Good luck with the world, you know? No. The more you walk with God, the more you realize, I need him every moment of every single day. That to me is maturity, where you say, Lord, I'm going to trust you, and I'm, I, I feel the pain... I still trust you. See, you can be in the pit and still be used by God. Amen? Amen. See, Joseph was used by God where he was at. So some people are like, well, I'll never be used by God until I'm out and I'm doing these great things and I have that, that, that. No, 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 no. Where he has you today, he can use you. With every person you meet, he can use you. Stop looking for the Christian glamour thing. God says, I'm going to use you where you are today, with the people that are on your lives today. And though you don't have it all together, you are still trusting. And people say, say, how is that sister getting by? Because I would be, I would checked out because uh, that would have been so hard. But there's something different about that. And you're, you're not realizing that God is using your pain and your suffering and your trust at the same time to fearify you, but also inspire somebody else. And many times when you're going through it, he'll bring people that have experienced weird experiences and say, hey, sister, hey, I know where you're at. Oh, I've been there. And there's this understanding, you know. And then later on, you'll be that person encouraging somebody else, right? Amen? Joseph knew that God would use circumstances, any circumstances, to purify his faith. His faith is being tested, it's being purified, it's being refined so as to make it a more usable condition. Joseph also, go back to chapter 39, Joseph also knew, though, and this is part of it, I had like, to be honest, I had like 15 lessons on this. and <laughs> I'm just sharing, okay? I'm just going to share what I see here. But Joseph also knew that God often uses delay and waiting as part of that development of our faith. Boy, how many of you guys like to wait? How many of you guys like to wait? Wait in line. You purposely go to Disney to wait in those long lines. You purposely go, no, no, none of us like to wait. 
We were so impatient. God's like, the chief tool I'm using in your life is to teach you patience and waiting. Oh. Joe has no idea how long he's going to be in this prison. 11 years. Come on, Lord. What's, what's What's the verdict here? What's the sentencing? God's like, until I get you out. I mean, and there's no promise of that. Maybe like, you know, can God use me where I'm at? But Joe understands that God may use waiting or delaying to strengthen our faith. Abraham received a promise that he'll be a child. He'll be a, he'll be a child. He'll have a child. <laughs> he had to wait years before Isaac was given. Moses is called at age 40 to be a shepherd, but he's not used, usable until he's age 80. He spends 40 years as a shepherd on the backside of the mountain raising sheep in isolation and obscurity before He's called by God to go to Pharaoh, let my people go. David is anointed as a boy. He has to wait years before he can take the kingship. Jesus grows up 30 years in Nazareth and has a three-year ministry. Waiting seems to be part of, a big part of the equation of God's plan. Have you been waiting for God to do something in your life? The psalmist says, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Psalm 37, 7 says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way because of the man who carries out wickedness. Like, don't look at somebody else who's, they're, they're getting ahead with their life, you know? Wait on the Lord. Because ultimately, we want God's will for our life to be done, amen? We want God's life for... I want God's will for my life to be done. But sometimes I think, I want his plan. I want, uh, this other guy, I kind of want his plan. for. Can I adopt that plan for my life? God says, no, no, no. I know the plans I have for you, right? I know the plans that I have written up for you. Wait on me. And Joseph does not allow the disappointments, the waiting, the delays to bring him to despair, but he trusts in the Lord. He trusts in the Lord. And the one key that I can share with this of this whole time that kept him going is that he had hope in God. His hope in God, maybe he got weak some days, but he still had a hope in God. James says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete Lacking in nothing. I mean, so you may be perfect means to be mature. There's a maturity that happens. And Joe knew that. And Joe also knew that God was always in control of his life. That he hasn't forgotten about you. If you can just rest, if we can rest and say, Lord, are you really good? Yes. There's not one molecule in, this, in, the, in the creation that is not out of his control. That's how powerful God is. He knew that God was in control even if it seems like he felt forgotten. How many of you guys have felt that way? Has God forgot about me? God, what about these dreams you gave me? What about these ideas you gave me? What about this calling you gave me? What about these hopes you gave me? And it seems like nothing's happening. It seems like I'm going backwards. It seems like I'm going to pick God, but why am I here? It seems like, if, have I missed the boat? Have I misheard you? Have I, have I, and God's like, I'm in control. Don't wake out. Take a nap. <laughs> you know, trust me, <laughs> you know. You get that way. Why? Because we look at everything around us. 
And this is a life of faith, not of sight. It's a faith that says, okay, I believe God is true. I believe God is faithful. I believe God is good. I believe that God is entirely in control. And I believe there's nothing happens in my life without his knowledge, which means he can't forget because he says, my thoughts, thoughts towards you outnumber the sands of the sea. That's a lot of sands. That's a lot of thoughts. It tells me that I'm on his mind constantly. Thank God, why am I still here? Because I'm still work, doing working on your life. Isaiah 49 says, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten me. And God responds, He says, Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Can a woman forget her child that she's nursing? No. Even these may forget, but I will never forget you, God says. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. You were written on my palms. If that's not a picture of Christ, I don't know what is. Jesus Christ, who's risen from the dead, has a new body, has purposely allowed himself to keep these wounds here and his feet as well. All of eternity, we're going to be like, that's a reminder to me. And it's always a reminder to him to say, hey, I'm not forgetting about you. I mean business here. I'm not into tattoos, but if I had a tattoo, that would be the tattoo, right? That would be the cool tattoo to get, right? I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually continually before me. So if you feel forgotten, know that God is not forgotten, no matter what, even if you're in the pit. Even if you're in the pit. God wants to use you where you're at, even if you're at the pit. And lastly, I want to share one more point. And this is, the, the idea is this, that you see the word remember in verse 14 and then 23, you see that? Only remember me, remember me. And then verse 23, remember. This idea of remember is not just recall to mind, but remember means to call mind and put into action. So in the scripture, when it says that God remembered so-and-so, it means he acted on their behalf, right? God remembered Noah, right? He remembered uh, his promise to Abraham. Throughout the scripture, it talks about that. But sometimes we, we, we say, okay, God hasn't spoken or he's silent, And Joseph knew that when God is silent, it doesn't mean he's forgetful. Then when God's quiet or he's silent, first of all, he's speaking through his word all the time. So he's not silent. But you get the point. You feel like you're not hearing from God in a certain sense. He's silent on certain things, but he doesn't mean he's forgetful. And we don't like it when God's silent, do we? I mean, we understand. You can hear from him every single day by reading this word. But I'm talking about with issues concerning your life, maybe a certain things, right? The psalmist says, he says, How long, O Lord, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And of course, he understands that God's not forgetful, but he understands that what he's experiencing is really human. And he says, God, why are you silent? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will you remain quiet? And the psalmist is seeking out, that's okay, and say, God, I, I can't understand, but would you please lead me? But God's silence doesn't mean his absence. Am I speaking to anyone here? Because you guys are silent. <laughs> I'm kidding. 
His silence doesn't mean his absence. God's silence doesn't mean his ignorance. God's silence doesn't mean that he's forgotten. But God's silence is this. God's silence is an invitation for you to trust him. God's silence is an invitation for you to trust him. And as Job is watching the cupbearer walk out, soon to forget him, I think his hope is still on the fact that God has not forgotten. Do you feel that God has been so silent that you don't know what he's doing? Well, trust him. It's an invitation to trust him. Maybe you're going through something where it feels like you're in the pit, that God's silent, that life is at a standstill, and you don't know what to do. That's an invitation to trust him. Maybe life has given you left hooks, uppercuts, and a kick in the stomach. God says, trust me. I went to to went to New Orleans a few years ago to preach. And uh, I was at a restaurant the night before because I was preaching two services, one, nor, um, two different places, for my, one of my good friends, really good friends. And I go to this restaurant and it's packed out. So I'm sitting at the bar. I don't drink, but I, just, I had to find a place to sit. I'm, I'm, I got my sermon notes in front of me. I'm trying to review, right? Uh, the sermon and sort of, you know, and I'm in the tunnel zone. You know how it is when you're in the zone and like you're in the, okay, you're on the airplane seat and you're kind of like, I'm busy. Don't, you put the, 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 imita- uh, the invisible blinders on, like don't bother me, right? So I'm sitting here and there's two seats next to me. They're empty. There's two seats over here. And this gentleman just comes in, sits right next to me. I'm like, okay, right, you know. And uh, so he's, he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm preparing to, to give a little, you know, the sermon. He goes, oh, and uh, so he started talking, right? And we're, we must have talked for an hour. But, but in the midst of the conversation, it occurred to me, I'm like, okay, this is a divine appointment. This man is a professional. He's a, he was probably like a PhD in, in some health science stuff, you know. But he had grown up, he's a different country, he grew up Catholic, and he had, he had you know, um, he had family uh, problems, he had, you know, health issues, and, and he was asking all these questions, where's God, where's God, you know, and all this kind of stuff, you know, and, and, uh, and of course I'm praying as, as he's, he's asking these questions, and very distinguished looking gentleman, he was honest, and you could tell he was, and I said, I said, you know, let me just tell you, I said, I don't know why God has allowed you to go through what you're going through. I don't know why God has, has allowed, I think he had cancer at one point in, his, in, in your life, or why these family members, why you had to suffer these things. I don't know why. I'm not going to make up some reason. I said, but I do know this. God has asked us, tells us to trust him. I said, no matter what else, everything else, all the reasons, I, could, I, I don't know. I don't know. I can't, I can't tell you all the reasons, but, I said, but he asks us, he tells us, trust him. He goes, trust me. When somebody says, trust me, that tells me 
When God says, he says, when God says, trust me, I have to remember God is perfect knowledge, perfect wisdom, complete power, all that wrapped in the one and love, right, and goodness, that for some reason in his divine omnipotence, omniscience, he's allowed you for some wonderful reason. He says, trust me. I don't know if that man was a believer. That same word is to the believer too. Trust me. Will you trust me, he says. I'm doing something. That if you had not gone through that circumstance, if you had not gone through that season or those trials, you would not be the person that I intend you to be in my son. And the only person that will have scars in heaven is Jesus Christ. So whatever scars we have here on earth, praise Jesus that in heaven, no more physical scars, no more emotional scars, no more spiritual scars, they're all healed by Christ. But he says, trust me. Will you trust him? Even if he's silent, even if you feel like you haven't forgotten, will you trust him? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you use somebody like Joseph as an example, Lord, as a demonstration of of a life of faith. But thank you, Lord, in the same way that you tested Joseph and brought him through significant trials, Lord. You're bringing all of us here, Lord, through different trials. And you're calling each one of us to a deeper level of trust and dependency. Lord, I pray if there's anyone who's struggling with that, even today, right now, that they would give that to you, that would, they would say, Lord, I don't understand. And I don't like being in the pain I've been, but I'm going to trust you. I don't have the answers, but you do, but I'm going to trust you. Lord, there's times when I feel forgotten, when I don't sense where you're at, where it seems like I'm the forgotten child, but Lord, I'm going to trust you. I trust you, Lord, because you're good. I trust you, Lord, because you are faithful. I trust you, Lord, that you are because you are in complete control. I trust you because you love me. And you proved it by sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, to take on all my sin and all my shame and to atone for everything, every sinful thing that's in my life. Lord, I pray for those who may be going through a season of of waiting, a season of delay, a season of where you seem to be silent, Lord. I pray that you would encourage their faith. And that they would not remain in that place one millisecond past what you intended. That the work you have started in their lives would be completed. In Jesus' name, amen.